All right, thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders. This is the podcast where we highlight undiscovered talent. We're scanning Y Combinator, Pioneer, Product Hunt, Twitter, Indie Hackers, all these different networks to find really interesting founders and interesting projects and startups, and we feature them on the podcast before you've probably heard of any of them. And what's great about this is you get to follow along on their journey as they become more and more successful and say, I knew them when. So thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders, and let's get into our next founder you haven't heard of, but you will. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Daniel Dewar, who is the creator of Paper Chain. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Glad, glad to hear. I'm doing well as well. Just had a great day. Looking forward to talking to you about Paper Chain. For people that don't know what Paper Chain is, can you talk about what you're working on? Yeah, sure. Uh, and I suppose basic paper chain is the fastest and easiest way for creators to access their streaming revenue. Uh, so we work directly with at the moment with record labels and artists and we connect to their streaming feeds from Spotify or YouTube or Apple. We take all their streaming data, we price it so we can see how much money they're making every day. And then we can advance any portion of that on demand. So can you talk about this is like super interesting to me because like, I used to be a musician and like singer songwriter and then um, Spotify happened and, and, and streaming happened and everything changed. Can you talk about like what, how, what was it like before you started Paper Chain and, the, and what, are, what now does Paper Chain enable artists to do or get or, or just like what, what, what's the augmentation with Paper Chain? Just kind of gonna give an idea of the market and how it works. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, I mean, this is an ongoing problem that's existed before even digital streaming came around. Uh, what streaming has done is really just exacerbated some of the cash issues in the industry. So if you think about, you know, what streaming occurred and the way it changed consumption and even distribution is now you, you can listen to anything at the touch of your fingertips. You can stream anything, uh, whether it's on Spotify or it's on YouTube, it's all available to you. And those microtransactions start building up and they're happening every single day. Um, so you had this big shift in the way consumption occurred, but the revenue and the payments model didn't change. So while you have these large volumes of microtransactions occurring every day, it still takes around three months for that revenue from those transactions to get paid to a record label. It then takes three to six or even nine months to get paid to the artist. So artists are still on six or nine month royalty contracts and get one check a year. That element hasn't changed, but the data that makes up the revenue model, all those transactions, that is available every day. So for us, it was just simply a matter of, well, we have the data that proves that revenue was generated. How do we then turn that into some sort of asset that can be connected to financial systems and be able to create some financial product off the back of that? Um, and that's really what we're trying to solve here is how, does, how do artists and how, how do the artists operate in the modern music industry and be able to access liquidity and financial products that enable them to either remain independent or just simply enable them to survive in a way that is sustainable and supports future growth in the industry. So how did you get into this? This is like, were you a musician or have you, have you worked in the industry or like, why did you decide to tackle this problem? Which I will admit it is a pretty gnarly problem. So how'd you get into this? Uh, there's a couple of ways, like steps that we got to, for us to get here. Uh, my story is I used to be a sound engineer, and this was back in Australia. Uh, 
I worked in music studios and then in film and TV. So I was aware working in studios of some of the pain points around collecting session information and then artists getting paid off the back of that. Uh, that was always a challenge. Um, and then I moved into data and analytics. And so I was always fascinated. The company that I was working with back in Australia, we were working with uh, large, uh, large brands and telecommunication companies and banks and basically tracking all of their media spend, uh, media performance, like ad clicks and things like that, and then building attribution models and telling them where to shift their budgets. And I was always fascinated by how much data they collected and how every decision they made around marketing spend was based on historical performance. And that just didn't occur in the music industry. Um, so I was fascinated because the music industry is full of data now, but the, the, the data points weren't being used in the same way. Um, so initially it was just working around, like, you know, being aware of the challenges around payments. It's like, well, how can we use this data to make it easier for artists to get paid? Um, the other part of the story goes back even longer. Uh, like that was about 10 years ago. Um, and I first started working on this in mid 2016. Um, the, another part of the origin story goes back even 25 years ago, where one of my co-founders here in New York started his own record label. And when he started that label, he wanted to pay his artists every two weeks to get them on the same cadence as people who worked at the label, which wasn't being done at the time. Artists were typically on six month royalty contracts. So to do that, he built his own royalty accounting software platform. In 2004, he wound his record label down, but there was enough interest from other labels in the royalty accounting software that he started selling that and started, and started selling it as a SaaS model to other labels and ended up, at the onset of digital, ingesting all of the iTunes statements and doing the end run royalty reporting for thousands of label brands. Uh, when I first met him in 2012, he was leaving that business, but the biggest challenge was around cash flow, because what, like as I mentioned earlier, consumption had changed completely, but the revenue and payments hadn't changed at all. So even in 2012, we talked about this idea around how to use the sales data to create like a micro factoring model. Um, so there were some gaps in getting access to the data, and then there was some bits and pieces missing on the finance side. And I went back to Australia uh, and then we kind of left it and fell out of touch. Um, at the end of 2016, we reconnected and I told him some of the initial work I've been doing and we re-looked at the problem because it still existed. But now there was a proliferation of API access. We could go directly to Spotify or YouTube and get performance data or streaming data from all those platforms. But then you also had some really interesting financial products that were being developed that allowed us to plug in and access lower cost capital. So the technology really caught up with some of our ideas and that's what we started building up. And where do you see opportunities in the music industry um, with, as you just mentioned, technologies are catching up and you obviously you're, you're optimizing one specific use case with, with, with paper chain, but like, or do you see other areas that can be improved in the music industry that like you wish people worked on or you might work on in the future? Um, the reason I asked is just cause like I don't have many music founders or like music industry founders on the podcast. So like, I'm just curious, like what, what, what's interesting in the industry to, for people to work on and what's the future look like? I think it's around, you know, direct, uh, artist to fan relationships. Um, and so what's been interesting with the lockdown is the shift in the way people consume and the way that artists are able to access their fans and the engagement that they get, but it's not always converting into clear revenue. And that's not really clear yet how an artist would use Instagram live. For example, uh, Tory Lanez is a really good example. Um, he's been running Instagram live almost every evening and he gets a couple hundred thousand people 
watching his Instagram live, but he's not getting paid for any of that. He's not monetizing that. What he has been smart is he put out a release last Friday and so, or two Fridays ago. And so that ended up being number one because that, because of the, the activity that he was generating on his Instagram live, he was able to capture that and convert that into it. Similar to TikTok, there's a lot of artists who are being broken on TikTok. And yeah, there's some sort of licensing going through, but there's not a clear revenue model for artists to monetize those. So I think what the lockdown is doing is starting people to rethink some of the direct-to-fan monetization models. And I think that's probably the more immediate and pressing challenge. Uh, and so it is being worked on, which is good to see. Um, and then the other part around it is just around attribution, is making sure that as much as you can provide applications for artists, but there's got to be some way for artists to ensure that they're being, there's correct attribution across different works and they're being compensated accordingly. You say attribution. I know what that means in the digital marketing sense, but can you explain what you what you mean for an artist? Are you talking about like when they get plays, they make sure they get paid, and like figuring out where they get plays, or what do you mean by attribution? Yeah, exactly. So attribution in a copyright sense, so they're being credited properly, um, especially you know, nowadays. You know, some of the great innovations in music over the past thirty years have been in hip hop, um, and the writing structure, particularly now, is very different um, to what it used to be where you can have 10 or 15 producers or songwriters working on a single song um, and not always getting proper credit or attribution for their, for their work. So um, I think, you know, enabling that and making that much simpler in, in the creation process, uh, I think those sort of tools are valuable. And again, people are working on them, but they haven't really taken off yet. So I don't know what is going to drive that. And hopefully something like what's occurring now is an impetus for a change across a lot of areas of the business. One thing that I heard somewhere, I'm really going to butcher this, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> but there, there's this challenge in the the music industry where a, a artist can put out a song and then someone can remix that song like on SoundCloud or somewhere and they like, use parts of that song. And like many times the, I guess, attribution or like the credit for that song doesn't go to the original DJ or something like that. And something that I... I heard it is that I'm sorry if I'm using the word, but I heard that like with something like blockchain with like a proof of like a, of like a, of a like a, a point where something originated that will be able to solve like some of these problems. I'm curious, like, are you, how do you think about blockchain in all this? Is that just way left field and, and doesn't really apply at the moment for you? Like, like how, how do you think about that, that type of technology? I think that use case is, is really interesting. Uh, the challenge with blockchain technology is the limitation on throughput at the moment, the ability to scale to that level. Um, so that's one of the biggest challenges there. And then the other challenge is just UX and usability. Um, I think, you know, there's plenty of applications being built on those systems. Uh, what, you know, what they're running into is a UX problem. Not a lot of people, you know, know how to use a MetaMask wallet or know how to interact and manage their own keys and I don't really understand like why do I need tokens if I'm just trying to buy this so there's a lot of interest in the space but they haven't really solved that gap the other challenge is that some of these companies are trying to replace a Spotify so it's like okay we can build a blockchain native system where as soon as you stream this song immediately a micropayment goes to every single uh, artist who contributed to that song uh, but so now you have you're trying to then get two audiences you're trying to get artists to use your platform but you don't really have listeners and you're trying to get listeners to use your platform and you don't really have artists or content or catalog that sits on there um and when you're only raising even if you're doing say in the height of the ico and you're raising five or ten million dollars 
I don't know how far that goes or how much market share you can capture with five or $10 million when Spotify is spending $25 million a month on marketing just on its own. So those are some of the realities of trying to implement that. And to be honest, like we started out in a, as a native blockchain project, my first, uh, the first iteration was looking at ways you could use consensus algorithms in a blockchain to validate rights data between different nodes in a network. So if there was a publisher and a performing rights society and a streaming platform, uh, all using uh, all, all tapping into the same network and validating meta song metadata and copyright information. Is that a way to ensure that artists can get paid? Um, of course, there was just a number of challenges around implementing that. Uh, so we started looking at ways or just essentially following the money and seeing how we can make that challenge work. And so there is still an element of blockchain or what we'd say de decentralized finance in our solution where we capture all of this data, we're pricing all of this data, but then we can take that to some of these interesting financial protocols that are being built that allow us to lend against the value of that data. Uh, and so that's our, that's where we intersect with the, with the blockchain space or decentralized finance, but it's not something that our users um, have to interact with. It's something we abstract from them because it's a simpler way to get people, to get people on board and it doesn't confuse them when they're trying to actually interact with the application. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I like the idea that you use blockchain or interact with it when you need to, but it's not like your selling point. Like you're not like we're on blockchain. Like you, it's like, that's not, you use it where, where it's necessary. Um, what, what would you say is the future, the future of paper chain? If you looked at, or not even the future, but let's talk about the vision. You look out like 10 years, 20 years, what does a world look like when paper chain, you know, wins the market and becomes as big as it's going to be? Like, can you, can you hate the future for me? Well, I think uh, I always say the, ease, the the most abstract way to put it is, you know, it's, it's a future where people can't even imagine what it was like before having paper chain in their life. Why that is, I'm not sure what that will be in 10 or 15 or 20 years time. I know that the way we see it and the way we look at this vision, it's not about creating an advancing system or a lending model or anything like that. What, you know, and why we're so interested in the decentralized finance uh, application is because it enables so many other things off the back of that. And I'll give you an example. Last year, we advanced $60,000 worth of Spotify revenue to one of our record label customers, um, almost 60 days ahead of the usual pay cycle at a fraction of the cost of a traditional finance financial product. But what was really interesting about it is by using this protocol, we were able to originate, um, we were able to take data from Spotify at the end of August. We were able to say, okay, here's August. It's worth this much. It's just simply data at this point. We just have streams coming from Spotify. But we were able to price it, take it to this protocol, say this is worth $83,000. We want to get $60,000 back and pay that to our customer. We were able to originate $60,000 and have $60,000 in our wallet in a matter of minutes. Uh, the challenge was then getting that $60,000 from our blockchain wallet into our customer's bank account, which took almost a week to do. So the, the reason why I was so bullish is if we can originate $60,000 in minutes, we can also distribute those payments in a minute and we can do it at the fraction of a cost of a traditional payments network too. So for us, it's about, well, how do we create a system where money can flow as fast as consumption, which is, really what we're all, which is really what we're trying to get to with the larger vision. It's about taking this data, being able to leverage new financial networks to be able to create a faster payment system, not just for music, but any system where there's a delay between revenue generation and payment. So, you know, music for us is we all come from that space, so we know the data well. It's a very data-rich industry for us to build on. 
but it's just the start because next thing we can do is YouTube or Twitch. Uh, there's no reason why we couldn't plug into digital ad networks and work with publishers and advance the pay cycle there, video on demand and mobile and app store, gaming, things like that, or even just e-commerce as well. So it starts with music, but expands into something much more where money starts to move faster and, and creators and entrepreneurs or developers or whoever have faster access to their revenue, which enables them to obviously create a sustainable business on their own. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, what a vision, like what a, what a world we would all live in, you know, when that happens. Um, is there anything that we can do as a community, as the forward thinking founder community to help you with what you're working on? Um, or is there an ask that you have that helps you move the needle a little bit more that, that someone in our audience or listener base might be able to help out with? Yeah, um, you know, for us right now, we have some really interesting opportunities to, to scale. Um, you know, so we've been working in smaller amounts in terms of advancing, and now there's, you know, opportunities for us to move into the millions and tens of millions. So it's a really, you know, it's really us like jumping, uh, jumping, the, jumping across the gap and crossing the chasm, as they say. Uh, so around, you know, moving larger volumes and uh, particularly in the, in the traditional finance world, while we're still developing some of the decentralized finance components. So if anyone has, you know, net, you know, connections at places like Beam or anywhere like that, where we can leverage them in the short term to be able to move and make payments efficiently to our customers. Um, we'd, I would love to speak to them about that. And we're also hiring for a head of finance, so building out the financial element of our product. So having someone um, look after that space, which is something I'm looking forward to offloading. Um, if if anyone is interested in that, or you know, knows anyone who thinks they might be good for good uh, good for that, it's up on our angel list profile which you can find on our website there's actually a job listing on there for the finance lead so feel free to go to paperchain.io and check that out or you can just email me directly at dan at paperchain.io all right i was going to ask for yeah any way to get in touch but you you laid that down so so awesome i appreciate you coming on the podcast you you really know what you're talking about and you really understand this industry which is exciting it, it's it makes me excited to know about what you're going to build and you know the vision that you're building so just thanks again for coming on to the podcast and i wish you luck in building out paper chain you know to um to to kind of do what the world needs in the world of getting paid so thanks for coming on Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. And thanks for putting this uh, podcast together. It's really good. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And luckily, there's another one coming up real soon. But before then, I have a couple things to tell you. First, if you're listening to this and you think you're working on something cool or you think you're smart, hit me up on Twitter. I am at Matt underscore Sherman. And that is Matt with one T. So hit me up. Shoot me a DM. And I'm happy to check out what you're working on and maybe we can get you on the pod. But at the very least, I'm happy to give you feedback on your product or project or startup. Lastly, if you can please rate this podcast in the iTunes store, that would be awesome. I'm trying to get up in the rankings so more people can discover these awesome founders. And the only way to do that or one of the ways to do that is growing with rankings. So if you liked what you're listening to, please just go onto the iTunes store, give it five stars or four, you know, or three. I'm not going to tell you what to give, but just tell whatever I deserve, you should rate that. With that, I'm signing off. See you next time. Bye.